welcome to Masters of Divinity, episode 61. I'm your moderator, JP, and I am together with my pals, the other Masters of Divinity. Father Chuck? Don't lie, you are not together. You are in Oklahoma, and we are here in Florida. And I'm also here with my other friend, Deputy Matt. I'm not speaking to you because you're not here in Florida. You're back in Oklahoma. And of course, I'm your moderator, JP. Welcome <laughs> to the latest installment of Music Mayhem. Pause for guitar riff. Or whatever riff you got. I don't know. I'm sure this is enough time for whatever. I'm gonna is that it. a riff? I'm Just leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> The guitar solo from uh, Beat It, the whole thing. <laughs> well, um, we don't have an album for this week, uh, so we decided to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's only fitting because not only have we all seen the movie, um, it's also a very musically driven film. Yes, it, I mean, it's called Volume 2, so it's practically like an like a mixtape right. itself. Yeah. It is a mixtape. And uh, hopefully you've all seen it by now. Of course, it's the sequel to... Guardians of the Galaxy came out a couple years ago, uh, which met with uh, a ton of popularity. And um, I just want to ask you guys real quick, uh, Chuck, what did you think about the movie, and what was your favorite song, musical number, in the movie? Um, I thought the movie was fantastic. Um, I mean, really, really, really good. It's, without a doubt, the best Marvel movie. Oh, yeah? Um, I, I like that it snuck some really deep thematic stuff into a silly sci-fi space opera kind of thing, which yeah. I know we'll get into. Um, so I really like the movie. Um, the My favorite f- musical number in the movie, probably the recurring um, – probably the recurring chorus of Brandy, of the song Brandy. Oh, yeah throughout the movie that, that that probably did it for me it's a great song um and it's used really really powerfully as this for, for to support the, the story of the movie, movie. yeah yeah mm, very true uh, <clears throat> matt how about you um yeah i really liked it i i wouldn't say it was my the, the best of the marvel movies mm, I, I don't i don't i don't necessarily agree with that i personally just personally, don't don't hurt me now. We're complimenting each other, um, but just personally, I like the first one better. Okay. I think it's a. I like. I think it's a better movie. Okay. I like the. Uh, I like the way the first one plays out. I like the characters' development through the first one a little more. Mm-hmm. But I thought that this one was a. You couldn't ask for a better follow-up. So I'm not downplaying how good this one is. It's just personal preference. I like the other one a little better. Yeah. Um, but that also just comes with the fact that the first one was so new. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the movie The Matrix, and then trying to come up with a sequel. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter how good it is. You blew our mind on the first one. How are you going to follow that up? Um, that's kind of how I see these. The first one caught me so off guard and how much I loved that movie mm-hmm. and arguably could possibly be my favorite Marvel movie. Okay. It's the first one, but it's between that and Civil War. Just because Civil War is like the way they built up to that movie and then played it out. Just yeah. There's nothing else like it. It's, it's, it's one of a kind as of right now. Um, but anyways, uh, this one's great. I, I do think that it could have... 
it could have been retitled Baby Groot and it wouldn't have changed anything because <laughs> I do believe that it is his movie. Um, and I don't mean that as a negative, but he kind of purposely steals the the movie. Um, every scene he's but, in. <laughs> yeah, every scene he's in, he steals it completely. However, it is an incredible movie. And I do love the themes and stuff that they put in this one that I'm sure we're going to get a lot more into. Yeah. But, uh, but I love the way they went. My my favorite part is the the, the introduction, and I already forget the song. Mr. Uh, Blue Sky, horrible. Mr. Blue Sky. There, yes. there you go. But the by the Electric Light Orchestra, dancing baby group. Yeah. <laughs> um, for like forty five minutes, <laughs> while there's like this epic battle behind him that you don't really get to see, which I not at all because it's not about the battle. It's one hundred percent about dancing group. I love it. It is completely like a very interesting, purposeful follow up to the the credit sequence from the first one yeah and how much everybody loved dancing group mm-hmm. they even had a toy of like oh, yeah, the potted group that danced to music yeah so how do they open this movie with dancing baby group well and, and the thing with him too which is great is there's that moment where drax looks at him and he stops dancing just like he did at the mm-hmm. end of the first yeah. movie yeah, they all have their own little interactions with him throughout that opening. Like, I, I love how like he he sees that like little alien fly thing and he tries to eat it and like Rocket appears and is, like grabs him. No, no, spit it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and as a parent, I like that was like that is so like because that's your priority because they're just like at work. Yeah, he stops fight, fighting you know, like, the giant alien just to get the fly out of his his kid's mouth. <laughs> and like when he keeps waving at Gramora. Yeah, and I love I, I love her reaction. She's like, "Hi," and she like goes. And, but sorry i'm getting ahead of myself go ahead matt sorry no no, i love it no i want to get way 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 ahead i want to like i want to like skip the whole movie for a second and just steal the thunder and completely say that probably my all-time 100 percent favorite moment in the entire movie um teenage group yeah. Yes. That was really funny. <laughs> With the, like all clean up your room he's i am good <laughs> you good <laughs> it's boring it's tripping over your vines everywhere <laughs> oh, that was great that teenage Groot is a whole new a whole new thing but can oh there's some, i was getting ready to just jump all over the place we're gonna have to go through this movie there's some there's some interesting things to talk about yes well what i want to know is uh first of all uh my favorite or i, I will say i agree with chuck i think it is actually my personal favorite of the marvel movies um, and I would even go as far to say it. I, I think it is the best one. I, I was saying last week that I, I told I told Chuck that I, I think that it's Mad Max good, Mad Max Fury Road good. Mm. And uh, those, for me personally, those only come around every few years. Um, I, I loved it. I, there was so much uh, emotion. There were so many parts where I just like wanted to weep, and there are parts where I was laughing so hard I was crying. Um. Uh, the music is 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 perfect. There are so many like little details, like the the how it opens with, uh, and I'm sure we're gonna get really into this about the de-aged Kurt Russell. And his, oh, that hair! <laughs> that fabulously feathered hair. Uh, like the opening where Kurt Russell and 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 Pete's mom are driving around in that muscle car in the '80s in Missouri. And they're like listening to the to the radio, and like they pull into a Dairy Queen. I'm like, that is oh, that. There's something about that man. Um, but there's there's so many other things I loved about it. But I, I just thought it was there was an um, an emotional depth. Um, all the characters had these really 
interesting emotional arcs uh and um nothing was like frivolous everything had like a reason and a purpose everything served like a dramatic purpose and i love that um and i'll, I'll get into that more especially concerning the music uh my as far as my favorite set piece goes with uh like a musical number is um um when they played uh come a little bit closer by jay and the americans that's a scene with uh yondu and and rocket just annihilating the ravagers oh yeah great sequence it is a great sequence and i think the reason great why relationship yes it is and i think the reason why i love that scene so much is because in most set pieces uh, in blockbusters and action movies and stuff when there's an action scene there's usually like a lot of tension um like there's usually like a they kind of plant a little seed of doubt like they may not make it out of this or there's something something they have to kind of overcome. This might be the only scene I've ever seen in any movie in any blockbuster action film where like no it's just Yondu and Rocket killing people <laughs> like they're doing it with so much ease like there's really nothing there to overcome and like this pop song is playing. As they're just annihilating, annihilating everybody, and then you see like Baby Groot, like you know, uh, chase after a few guys, which is really funny. Um, and it's, uh, <laughs> I just think it's funny. That was a really funny scene, and, and I think it's, I think it's a blast uh, watching Yondu and Rocket interact with each other. So that's my favorite part. It was sort of uh, cathartic. Yes. It, was, it was about their relationship. It was an action scene. The point of it was about these two have bonded together. I do love when they're they're in that little room in the middle of that place. Yeah. And he's got his little arrow flying around. Yeah. My favorite my favorite thing is when Rocket just is watching the screen and he points at the door and shoots a guy through the yeah. wall. I love it. Just that was one of my favorite that was one of my favorite moments. And this is this the shot of the arrow like flying around the ship like a laser light show. Like uh-huh. that was cool. Along with the beats of the music. It was wonderful. And uh Rocket scene in the woods. Is probably one of my oh, yeah. all-time favorites too. When he's on his own, and we finally get to see Rocket 100% be Rocket, he's that, just that wiped people out. That counts as a as a musical number because he's like singing along to. Um, I think it's is it Southern Nights by Glen Campbell. I'm looking at the playlist. Yeah, it might be. Or is it Bring It On Home to Me? Well, see, if I could remember the the movie well enough, um, I probably would have picked that one. That's one of my favorite scenes is the whole thing. And the guy who's like, oh, you don't have your gun anymore. Now what are you going to do? And he just beats the crap out of both of them. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Well, one thing I do like that they did in this movie is they also – they didn't retread old gags. Oh, no, not Just thinking about it because there was that recurring gag in the first movie where, where Rocket kept wanting like people's like prosthetic limbs. Yeah. And they didn't retread that gag in this movie. No, they they did reference it though. Sort of it, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean they did, they did, they did reference, reference it because it, yeah. Baby Group brings him the the eye at yeah. one point. Yeah, he actually brings him the 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 eye that he yeah. asked for in the first when the guy he doesn't need his eye. No. Um, baby Group brings him the eye and he's just dying laughing. It's like hey, when he wakes up and it's not there. Yeah, <laughs> like, but it's 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 subtle enough, like. It's not. Yeah, really yeah, 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 yeah. No, no but it, I do like the. I agree. They don't retread is, the jokes, but I love the reference to callback. That that sequence where Groot was bringing and the thumb. <laughs> just tell me, there's a drawer where you keep severed thumbs, <laughs> and if not, we will never speak of this again. <laughs> he just holds up a thumb, like <laughs> that. That that is a great scene. That is. <laughs> he brings a whole desk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a desk. 
<laughs> can we just stop recording now so I can go watch it again? <laughs> that instead. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when I know when uh, when Chuck and I walked out of the movie, Chuck, the first thing he said is like, I could walk right back in and watch a movie again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, easily would have turned around and went right back in, and uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> and the more I'm thinking about it now, the more I'm laughing about the Chuck. Movie. Uh, let me ask you then, Chuck. You said that uh, you, you and I both kind of agree that it's like it might be the best Bar Marvel movie. And yes. And it's certainly probably your favorite. Why Why is it your favorite? Why does it stick out so much uh, compared to other, you know, other really good Marvel movies? Um, I'm going to – maybe I'm just – I don't know if, it, if I'm just what, – what it says about me. But I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a place where I, I sort of feel like – a lot of the Marvel movies have gotten kind of samey. Okay. Um, where it's, I realized that I know Matt's gonna Matt's gonna hate me for this, but I, I realized it watching Civil War the yeah. last time when I when I bought it and I brought it home and Kane and I watched it, and I watch and I and I just the second time around with it, I, I was just sort of like, I, I just it, it felt like set pieces strung to like held together by a loose narrative. Okay. Um, it just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I just was underwhelmed on second viewing of, of, um, of, of Civil War. And it just sort of drove home my feelings on the superhero movies are a little bit kind of samey. Um, so I like that both the Guardians movies are, are pretty different. I mean, they, 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 there's a formula, obviously, that Marvel's using in them. But what I think about this one is, the 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 ideas and the themes that it's dwelling that it's that it's dwelling on and dealing with i think are incredibly rich oh yeah for a popcorn blockbuster film um and i think they're deeper than because the, the the closest analog i think we have to that are are what the captain america movies are dealing with because they're dealing with power and trust and friendship and, and those and friendship those sorts of things and this one, which is dealing with friendship, and it's obviously like its main story is daddy issues, but the the um, the the really deeper stuff in it involving you know the concept of the ego, and as in I told you earlier, you know that I think it touches on even agnostic Christian ideas and other things. Like I just think it's a really rich movie. Um, and that's why I like it more why I think it's better than the others because I think it's so layered. Um, and, and much more, much less one note than the other Marvel movies. Interesting. Um, I just kind of want to point out, because I forgot to say it earlier, uh, but spoilers. <laughs> We're going to go all, all out on this, so if you haven't seen it, um, first of all, what's wrong with you? Uh, second of all, I'll go see it. So uh, now that I said that, Chuck, uh, can you expand a little bit on that? Because you, you and I were talking about not you, or you were telling me about... Uh, some of the Gnostic stuff you saw uh, in the movie. Can you kind of uh, explain that for our audience? Well, I mean, it, part of it is is due to the fact that the movie deals with Peter Quill finally meeting his dad, whose dad turns out to be the avatar of a living planet called Ego. Right. So you've already got the idea of a godlike being and his incarnate son. Right. So you've got a Christian, you've got a Christian thing going on there. Little G, um, as he but, says. Huh? Little G, as he said. Little G, yeah. <laughs> but you've got, um, um, but in Gnostic, like in Gnosticism, as I understand it, and it's been a while since I've really read into it, so 
any listeners who are better versed in it, you can feel free to correct me. But the basic gist of Gnosticism is that the God of the Old Testament is a is what they call the demiurge, which is a false god who is trying to keep humanity enslaved in the material world. That there was a true God who created everything and created a world where everything was sort of in light and it was a, all part of a same light source and whatever. Um, and that, that part I'm a little foggy on. But then the Demiurge helped fracture creation into the material world and created and, and gave rise to the idea that we are our bodies and we are in this thing and, and that and whatever. But it's this grand illusion and that Jesus comes along and Jesus represents the true God and is working to defeat the Demiurge so that we will be released from the constraints of the material world and return to the God of light. And so I saw some theme, some parallels with that. I mean, obviously it's touching on some Christian stuff, but then it's taking it to a different level. I mean, it's not a perfect analog because in Gnosticism, Jesus is not the son of the Demiurge. Okay. Um, um, I don't think, but the, um, so the movie's working on some different, some, you know, it, it's not a perfect analog, but the, 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 mas- the basic story is, is there is that, um, is that ego is wanting to remake the universe, um, the material universe. He promises that Peter will have access to the material universe, which echoes what Satan tempts Jesus with. Um, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the world, all this stuff. Um, and then, um, Peter chooses love, which is an intangible, immaterial thing, um, as the higher virtue. And he, and because of that is why he defeats the Demiurge, which follows the Gnostic idea that Jesus, um, represents the God of love. And so therefore, um, is, goes against the material world because of his love. Um, so anyway, so I just, I, I saw some Gnostic parallels in the, in the storyline. It was interesting because the way he defeats ego is Yandu tells him, you know, I don't control the arrow with my head. I, I control it with my heart. Right. So you could say, yeah, he, yeah, he did use love to defeat ego because he decided to, you know, use his instincts as opposed to just triangle heart. Right. One of the reasons why I loved it so much is because I really love the relationship between all the characters how they're 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 like their own sort of like little surrogate family and it's not like um like in a, in a cynical way of like sort of rejecting the idea of like a real family they're a surrogate family because of how much their real relationships have like broken down and they're there for each other and i, I found that to be really touching because they even like kind of accepted yondu into the fold because of that um, and it's when you kind of go through each individual character, each one has like a very strained relationship, either like with their father or, or someone else. You know, Yondu, as we saw, was exiled by uh, Sylvester Stallone's character, um, Stuckar. Sylvester Stallone is now officially in the Marvel universe. I know. Can we just pause right there for a second? <laughs> and not yeah. just in the in the Marvel not universe. That's the fact that you just said that. Yeah, not just in the Marvel universe, but one of the original Guardians of the Galaxy from the 1960s series. Uh, so he he, he played Stuckar, uh, who was Starhawk, I believe. And he kind of served in, in the context of the movie. He kind of serves as like Yondu's father figure, and he exiles Yondu because of you know what he did, kidnapping Peter Quill and stuff. 
Um, and then, you know, you have Drax, who's the father himself, but, you know, his um, mother and, and child were murdered. And uh, you have Gamora and Nebula and their relationship and how they've been detached from Thanos, their father, uh, who pit them together, who pit them against one another. Uh, Rocket, who was genetically engineered by scientists who didn't care about him. It's what Yondu tells him to kind of make him realize who he is. Uh, and um, I was like, oh, of course, you know. Peter, <laughs> because he, of course the movie revolves around him, you know, being with his father. Turns out his father killed his mom, which is like, you know, I think that's a brilliant scene when he finds out that when when ego, ego, has the chutzpah just to tell Peter like, oh yeah, I killed your mom. Like, only a character named Ego would have like those kinds of balls to 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 say that. You know what I mean? Right, and to say it in such a way that he would assume that Peter would just be on board with it. I love how the turning of the corner is immediate. Like he says it and immediately Peter shoots him. I know. And he was like, Like, there's no like, are you sure? He just shoots him. Like in the middle of like a a state of enlightenment, which kind of of mirrors Dr. Strange a little bit. uh, When the ancient one puts strange in that uh, weird, I don't know. He like sends him on a trip or something. I've not seen Dr. Strange yet. Uh, Well, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about, right, Matt? I I'm sorry. It's it's not it's 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 good. It's not. Great. I'm not talking to either of you anymore, though. <laughs> well, there's a. I mean, it, it mirrors a part in Doctor Strange where the Ancient One like kind of throws Strange into the into like a weird trippy 2001 Space Odyssey thing. It goes through all the different dimensions. Um, okay. But that's basically what's happening to Peter Quill, and like in the midst of that, of like of like seeing eternity. And then Ego says, "By the way, I killed your mom." It's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was that was like it. That was done. Um, that's one of my favorite moments, by the way. I I really want to talk about Ego. Yeah. Um, not and not only because Kurt Russell's hair is glorious in this movie. Um, <laughs> the the de aging, by the way, was like incredible. Guys, oh yeah. So the Marvel fun. Universe officially contains Kurt Russell, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. And David Hasselhoff. <laughs> oh, that's right. Michael Douglas. Yeah. But yeah, David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. I totally Hasselhoff. forgot about David Hasselhoff. We'll get back Hoff. to that. Sorry. I, sorry. I Jeff just, Goldblum. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. You just pulled me out of my enlightenment moment. <laughs> no, but um, what? And to me, since we're music mayhem. Yeah. Add the thing. The uh, is to me, he's the most like musical character. Yeah. Cause I told you as soon as I got the movie, like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like, ego, ego is the rambling man from all of those country songs. I, mean, I thought of uh, Marshall Tucker bands heard it in a love song. Like he is that, that the protagonist of that song embodied the person who travels around, falls in love, but keeps on moving because the road is where he wants. Oh to yeah. Be. He's totally like a Bruce Springsteen born to run. Yeah. Kind of guy. Yeah. He's just that iconic American, you know, a classic uh, American male, which um, it, it's it's I'm a I was an English student in college and I read a lot of Jack Kerouac. And of course, I read on the road. I mean, every, everyone's read on the road. And I remember reading on the road like a few years ago, read it again and just being really turned off by all the characters because that's just all they do is cheat on their spouses and have illegitimate children. Like, yeah, they're and but but then Kerouac refers to them as saints, um, which is just the strangest thing to me. 
but um but yeah that but there's that that was an ideal and ego embodies that ideal and it's that to me is so that they that that's that's the way that they portray him. I mean, and Kurt Russell is a perfect casting for that because he looks it. Oh yeah. He looks that part and rooting it in the early eighties and all of that is, was just such a brilliant move. It's like ego. It's like you kind of swept into earth and captured a zeitgeist on the, on the planet in order to embody that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and like all to, all to spread his seed. Yeah. Um, and literally, because he plants a thing, um, and I just I that that aside, and that is the fact that he's ego, and that he uses the word ego um, for his name, and that it fits into this kind of classic American masculine. I mean, you could do. I'm I'm, I'm sure a feminist reading in this movie would be fascinating because oh, yeah. that classic patriarchal American male that's sort of like I want to go around sleep with whoever I want. I don't want to be attached to anyone, connected to anything. I I, I get to live the life that I want to live. Marlboro man, rambling man, kind of ideal. That right. um, that's really kind of embodies American concept of ego, right? That we really want to have our own planet. We want to be a planet unto ourselves, where we can do anything that we want and have everything that we want. And ultimately, we want to remake creation uh, in, a, in such a way that it suits us. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that is a profoundly theological. I mean, that's that's the classic interpretation of the story of the garden of eden where adam and eve sinned because they wanted to do things their way rather than listening to what god wanted for them and that i mean holy crap this is a blockbuster popcorn film and it's giving a thesis on on the sin nature of humanity it's amazing yeah what do you think it says about um you know one of the newest additions to the movie is the character mantis who is a pretty popular character in the marvel marvel universe um, what do you think it says about ego? And this is for both of you, by the way, if you have anything to say. What do you think it says about ego that he keeps uh, Mantis, who basically sort of represents empathy, as a pet? She is beautiful on the inside. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was what I have to admit. That was a running joke throughout the thing that just, I couldn't help it. It kept cracking me up. Um, <laughs> I just love that. Whole... I am imagining being physical with you. Blah. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness! Uh, I love that character and his complete literal. Uh, uh, oh, Drax! 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 That's an all-time character. <laughs> killed it, Dave. Dave Bautista, uh-huh. such a great actor. Real just side note, can I point out, you talked about the relationships in this movie yeah. and how good they are and that that's the driving force and why this movie is so great. Yeah. But we also talked about the relationships in Civil War. How amazing is it that Civil War took like the you know like a decade of building up relationships in order to have yeah. the story that it has? We've got one other movie. I know. And I know. you care about these characters with one other movie. I mean, that is astounding like writing right there. It really is. I definitely credit James Gunn to that. I think he's a, I think he's a brilliant filmmaker. Uh, but back what to we'll only argue that there's like 40 characters in civil war. That's a different, <laughs> oh, <true. laughs> so, yeah. that's my only argument on that part, but carry on. Um, but yeah, Mantis, um, you know, she, she's, she's an empath. No, for her empath uh, abilities means she can feel other people's feelings. She's Deanna Troy, if you will. <laughs> yes. A way cooler Deanna Troy. 
Um, but hideous. Shut that mouth. <laughs> but hideous. Revolting. <laughs> but, but hideous and revolting. Uh, whose no, Steelers are used. She is better than Deanna Troy. I, can I just, I'm going to take a tangent here in Star Trek. I've, I, I watch Next Generation <laughs> off and on sometimes when I am when I have downtime. Yeah. And all I ever see Deanna Troy do in Next Generation is like her whole character is Captain, I feel. And she just restates like what is very clearly happening on screen. Yeah. <laughs> just feel anger. Like, well, the there, fact there's the tension Python, between so and so. Oh, help. really? <laughs> they just kidnapped somebody and tortured him. That might help. <laughs> I, I love, I love that they totally parody her character in uh, Team America because they have that one oh, character yes. who's an empath, but like she's not really. An empath. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. Anyway, so I, uh, yeah. anyway, what was your question? Uh, I just <laughs> want to know what you guys think about like. I, I just feel like there's something that could be mined to the idea that like ego has enslaved empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll go ahead and just. I, I, I'll yeah, go you guys already had a conversation about. Well, this. we didn't really go. We didn't really go into detail. I just. I just brought it up. All right. Like, we'll start going. I, I. I think it's an interesting commentary on the world that we live in now so jp and i earlier just happened to be chatting about something completely unrelated to this and it got us onto guardians of the galaxy which is you know the kind of people that we are um um i i was i was relating to him that i'm really frustrated and matt you can you can appreciate this that we live in a society where it seems that there's no grace um i was on a website that we really like um i'll 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 leave the name out of it because i just don't need that i don't invite that trouble into my world but um not what the heck it was birth movies death which is a website that we really enjoy with a a decent comment section only website you've ever mentioned on this show okay well fair (laughs) okay whatever so so i was on there today and someone had posted a really uh, somewhat snarky article about mel gibson um pointing out how people get outraged and Mel Gibson has a career again. And the comments were just basically like, just really crapping on Mel Gibson saying he doesn't deserve a career, all this kind of stuff. And what gets me about this and what frustrated me about this is, is the way that where there's like no possibility of people ever being redeemed, that redemption seems to be outside the realm of possibility for these people that, that no apology is good enough, no one has been punished enough, that you do one thing bad, that you're bad for the rest of your life. And, and to talk about, no, and, and, and I was telling JP that this concerns me about the world we live in because I'm terrified that one of, that, you know, my kids or someone may do something stupid and, you know, a certain segment of the internet decides that it's unsavory, it's wrong, and that they're bad guys forever because of it. And Unless you play sports. But even then, like, people... I mean, whatever. So, so, so JP and I were going back and forth on this, um, and, and a little bit in talking about this lack of redemption. And JP, you pointed out that um, it's interesting because the media that people consume is not reflective of this idea that not redemption is a, an important role. And then we started talking about the merits of whether or not it's really redemption. It's just shades of gray, which we can get into. I'm sure we probably do a whole episode on on. Oh, yeah. Not but Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't think we'll do an episode on that. I'll do it. <laughs> by himself, JP just by himself talking about Fifty Shades of Grey. So this got us in this conversation about redemption and, and movies and, and characters that are being redeemed and stuff. And we'll talk about like Yondu and other characters I think in a bit, and we, we can talk a little bit about redemption in this movie because I think yeah. it's an important and rich place to talk about. But all of that is to say that I thought that ego perfectly encapsulates this idea because. It shows where we that we use empathy like a pet, 
we will be empathetic with the people to whom we want to be empathetic, and then we will we will be angry and cut them off if we don't deem them worthy no. of it. We literally use enough empathy to sleep at night. Hmm. That's interesting. Can you expand on that a little bit? Can you? In the movie, he literally he felt only enough so that he could sleep at night. Empathy was just a thing that helped him sleep. Right. And then during his conscious hours, he spent his time thinking only of himself and doing only what he wanted to do. And then he allowed just enough empathy towards others so that he could go to bed at night thinking that he was doing it for them hmm. when it was actually all about him. Interesting. So he's actually... So we, wow. so we allow... So let me give you an example. Like, <laughs> like let's, let's say you've got the friend who's going through something really hard and you're going to be that person who's there for them. But what you're really doing is you're wanting to be the one person that they see as the most important person on earth. And I'm not saying this is why everybody does it, but some people do. I'm just helping them so that they can see me as a better person because it's actually all about how good I am and how much they should appreciate me. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to allow myself to believe I'm doing it for them, hence the empathy, so that I can sleep at night and then wake up in the morning and live my life all about me. Right. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting, Matt. I didn't think about it that way. It's pretty um, mind-blowing, really. Huh? Is it pretty mind-blowing? Yeah. Because ego's us. That's the thing I want to make everything clear. Like, ego is us. Right. And in the the only way that ego could stop thinking about himself is, is if he's asleep. And it took empathy to do that. Right. Interesting. Well, can I ask you guys a question? Can I can I ask you guys? Uh, was there there? You know, there are so many characters, and there's so many layers, and you know, not everything is wasted at all. Even the fact, like what we just said, like her putting him to sleep is, is representative of something. Um, and there's so much story for each character. Was there a certain? I mean, I know Chuck, you're you're talking a lot about ego and how much you really like his character. And um, I also want to. I just I just want to add on to that before I ask this question. I want to add on to that. What I love about ego is that he is doing like 100 times the villain thing and spending the entire movie just talking yeah he just monologues kurt russell all he does is talk in this movie from beginning to end like very egotistical people too they just never stop talking exactly me (laughs) (laughs) exactly and that's what i mean that's what that's what i mean when i say like nothing is wasted in this movie everything has a dramatic reason he is ego. He's egotistical. Like, yeah, he's going to talk a long friggin' time about himself and his incredible plans. And he's going to think you're going to love his plan so much that he can say something like, I killed your mom. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's what I mean by, like, nothing is wasted. And are there any other, like, characters or, or relationships or little subplots happens that really kind of stuck out to you guys? David Hasselhoff. <laughs> <laughs> his look of utter confusion. I feel I'm there. <laughs> that was a really funny part. I, I, I you know, I, I watched this movie two like two times before I saw it with Chuck finally, and both times I, I watched that part happen, I was like, I cannot wait for Chuck to see this. <laughs> see I mean, this he's scene. got the Michael Knight outfit. I mean, it is that it's <laughs> they could not have done anything better. Ah. <laughs> oh. Um. Well, let me just okay. Let me just ask you guys. I, mean, I got I got to comment on this because it hits okay. me personally. I so the movie itself hit me on a personal level because I, I I've never met my dad. I'm a guy who's never met his dad. Right. So um, so there's already that. But when I was a kid, like I don't know what it was, and I, I there's got to be some kind of like zeitgeist thing that James Gunn and I or or whatever are tapping into for this because 
I thought Michael Knight was the coolest man <laughs> that had ever walked the planet. And so the idea that Peter Quill would be using him as like, oh, this is who my dad is. <laughs> like, I never did that, but I could see why he would do that. Yeah. Because in your, it, for some reason, David Hasselhoff in Knight Rider, when you're like, when you're like elementary school age kid, was like the coolest, the coolest man that ever walked the earth. <laughs> And so that that whole bit like resonated with me in such a personal way. Really? Yeah. Well, I knew you would like it. Uh, it's it's great, and I love that David Hasselhoff shows up and uh, even recorded a uh, a song for the movie, <laughs> uh, Guardians Inferno. I don't know if I would say I'm I'm glad he recorded a song. <laughs> <laughs> he had the voice of an uh, angel. Um, he had the voice of a fallen angel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, what did you guys think about uh, Nebula and Gamora and their relationship and their conflict? I appreciate their conflict. I, 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 I'm not entirely convinced that whatever little resolution bit they get in the movie was actually earned within the runtime of the movie yeah. between the two films that I've seen. I mean, when when Nebula explains the horrific life that she has had. And and then like Gomorrah is just like, oh, well, I'll always be your sister and hugs her. It's a little bit like I, I that seems a little kind of like a very small gesture. But the movie plays it as though that's them reconciling a bit, like in a, in a, in a pretty rich way. I mean, but that, that that's what that's my one criticism with the movie. But I'll forgive it because, you know, we've only had four hours with these characters. Right. So it's hard to show all of it with, you know, I, I'm willing to I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on it um, on that. But um, but, yeah, I think I think Nebula and Gamora both and Yondu, I think, are the three characters that interest me the most in the movie because they're the three that have redemption as their arc. Okay. And what you and I were talking about earlier, and I think you probably find this interesting, Matt, is that pop culture, particularly a lot of our major cinema, like I'm concerned that one of the reasons why there's no grace in our society is that comic book movies, which are sort of the main mythology of our culture right now, don't ever show people being redeemed. The bad guy is always defeated, oftentimes killed by the end. We never see them change. But when we do show redemption and some JP pointed out to me that when we do show redemption, it's from the heroes. The heroes are redeemed, but they shift from shades of gray to another shade of gray. They don't necessarily go, or they go from gray to like white. You don't have like a black to white redemption arc. Um, the closest in would be would might might be Scott Lang for Man Man. Well, and that was the thing that got me really interested in this JP because that's the like Edgar Wright when he was attached to Ant Man, his plan was to have Scott Lang to be a much more despicable character. Right that he was a selfish bank robber but the but disney wanted him to be um more of like a robin hood kind of like noble criminal rather than just a straight up criminal and so the movie the feige disney these people they stepped in and they made the story just a change from within shades of gray rather than yeah like a full redemption arc but yondu and Nebula, but specifically Yondu in this movie, goes from like 
pitch black yeah, to yeah. white because I mean that's the whole thing when when Sylvester Stallone character showed up talks about how he was dealing with ki- dealing in kids and Yondu admits like I mean you see like the pile of skeletons that Yondu had been doing this for a long time getting these young getting these kids that were egos children um, and bringing them to him I mean at some point he had to know that what he was doing was pretty messed up and that he finally stops with Peter and and it actually you know there's a noble there's a noble thing there to a degree i mean but but yandu's arc as presented in guardians volume two is a legit redemption arc right um and it's very refreshing and like you know i think people have a hard might have a hard time wrapping their heads around that i mean i saw some criticism about that and think in reviews that i had read um you know things. You know, and and I and, and, and I know you. You know, I also mentioned this, JP, that it sort of brought to mind Jason, Sta- Jason Statham's character in the new Furious, Fast and Furious movies, where you stole my comment. Okay, go for it. Because I haven't seen the movies. So yeah, I want to know. I want to your thoughts. Your thoughts on Yondu. No, I was just gonna jokingly say that if you want redemption, you have to switch over to a much more meaningful, depth, deep franchise like Fast and the Furious. <laughs> um, but you just stole my thunder. Just. Um. Yeah, I mean the the Yondu story I thought was really good in this one. I really liked the way that they brought him and Rocket together in this one. Yeah, and the way that that played out. Um. I think that we saw a glimpse of his character's beginning to his redemption in the first one, when he um, chooses to fight with him and and to, to help him protect the planet. But he's still like selfish in that one, so he's still hiding his true. Um, caring for it's actually for Peter Quill, Star Lord. Yeah, he's still kind of driven by money because he wants the stone. Yeah, or at least that's what he leads you to believe. It's not until this movie that we find out that the whole time there's also been this underlying, like, actual feeling and caring for for other people. Yeah, like he tells uh, Ego he may be your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a yeah, that was a big moment. Oh, oh that was sad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and his, his death was, was, it touched me. It got I, me. I almost it, cried. I, I it, it almost me. cried. Yeah, I didn't cry, but, <laughs> but it got me. I, I thought it was good. Um, yeah. And then what's the other, the, the other characters? Gamora and Nebula. And Gamora and Nebula. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with, with a father Chuck statement over here on that one. I, I liked it. I really liked where they went with it. I really felt like it was just a big, a big moment that was kind of overlooked. Like, oh yeah, by the way, we're good now. Um, it could have been an editing thing because they're, will, they're yeah. sharing a lot of screen time with other stuff going on in the movie. Yeah, I will also say I don't feel like they tried to claim that it was totally resolved in the moment True. either. So I will say that they, there's a lot more they can do with it later, and that there was this realization from Gamora that like it was her fault everything that happened to her sister but then there was this moment where she's also like but she was just trying to survive also like she's just trying to press she basically it's like they were motivated by the same thing and neither and it made them blind to each other they lacked Um, communication if you will this whole movie you could say is centered around everybody being blinded by themselves and their ego and only being freed by love and relationship. Oh my God. Um, but just, just, 
I mean, oh, you're just throwing it out there. I'm just maybe, maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, sure. Probably doesn't mean anything, no, but um. I think at all. <laughs> but yeah, it's not ripe yet. Sorry, that's the. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to tell you, that is the one joke in the movie that, as it's playing out, I'm like, all right, we got it. Like we get it. It's not ripe. And then she bites it, and I'm like. Great payoff. Of course, like I quoted it before <laughs> she said it. It's not right. Um, and the, as as it's happening, I'm like that. That just seems like a release. But but yeah, it got me later. I chuckled a little at it later after the fact. As it was happening, I was like, "This is too played out." I get it. We get it. I get where you're going with it. But then later, I'm like, "Ha, ah, it's too right." <laughs> kind of like a Napoleon Dynamite um, when you're watching it. Yeah. It's just whatever. And then later, you're like. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, I just thought about this. Talking about Yondu, and I saw this movie three times, and I still die laughing at the Mary Poppins quote. Uh, (laughs) 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 You look like Mary Poppins. Is he cool? Hell yeah, he's cool. (laughs) I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. It's that's ah, so great. I love this movie so much, you guys. Um, and it's got such, and that's got such a father son moment because yeah, but, he wants way, to he wants to be cool in his kid's eye. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Mary Poppins is cool. So forget all you, whatever. Um, one thing I want to point out about the the Nebula Gamora relationship and the subplot of the movie is uh, it does pass the Bechdel test. Yes, uh, it's true. I mean, not not that it's like a huge. Can you? Can you explain to some of our listeners who might not know what the Bechdel test is? The Bechdel test Bechdel. is is a popularized by a, uh, a pretty popular feminist um, graphic novel called Homes. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot the name of the popular graphic novel. Did you almost call it Homestar Runner? Because no, not, that's no, 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 no. <laughs> I think you were about to call it Homestar Runner. No, it's not going to call Homestar Runner. I didn't watch that. Um, I forgot what it's called, but anyway, there, it's it's in this it's in this comic book about. Um, uh, there's a few panels in the comic book where where someone says that like, the Bechdel test is, when. This theory that like, two women in a movie. Can't talk to each other without referencing, a male, or like the star of the movie or whatever who's usually a male. So, like, if you see a movie and there's two women alone in one scene and they're talking to each other and they're talking about something other than a dude, they've passed. It's that's passing the Bechdel test. And even though they do talk a little bit, they talk a lot about Thanos and their father. Um, they also talk a lot about their own relationship with themselves and how they're feeling towards right. one another. And that is, it's not like a real theory. It's just, it's just kind of like a, a thing that popped in a comic book and it's become kind of popular online and stuff. Yeah, and it's also become kind of a. I mean, I, I know some feminists who are frustrated by it because yeah, it, it's not exactly foolproof either. Because <laughs> like, yeah, they, well, plus it's like, yeah. it's does it just become a, a boxy check to say like you can pay lip service? Oh, my movie's progressive because I passed this test. Yeah, but it it's still kind of it 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 just sort of illustrates you know oh wow like that that's it's kind of true like whenever there's two women together all they do is talking about dudes that's that's interesting even though like it's even though even if it might be important to the story it becomes kind of refreshing when it does pass the pass this test um and it's also sort of a mark of like a good movie usually 
Um, yes. I think it sometimes goes hand in hand, even though it's not like a foolproof theory. Uh, but that's, I mean, I thought the relationship was really great. I, I love the scene when, you know, the fight was cool. And, you know, where she's like, she, <laughs> when Gamora shoulders the, the giant cannon. Oh, is, yeah. is like a, a wonderful, hilarious moment. Um, their fight is like so over the top. And the way it just goes from like a really over the top fight to like, you know, basically um, uh, wrestling to them just to, to arguing or no, I won. No, I won. Right. <laughs> and then finally, like, you know, they get down to the core of like, you know, their relationship and their emotional hangups out that we do with each other. And, you know, it kind of breaks my heart when whenever I watch Nebula tell Gamora, I just wanted a sister. And she says it so angrily. Yeah. Um, Karen Gillan, by the way, plays Nebula. You wouldn't really know because she's covered in makeup, but she's a very attractive redhead uh, from Doctor Who. Yes, and she she does a phenomenal job. She does. She's amazing. As is so it is Zoe Saldana. Yes. Everyone everyone gave all time performances in this movie. Oh, they totally did. Um, Gosh, and just like Michael Rooker as Yondu. Um, I don't know if you guys know who are that familiar with Michael Rooker. Um, I'm no. He kind of he's sort of a a character actor. He's been in like a hundred movies, and uh, he was in. Um, he kind of got his fame, his his cult status by starring a movie called Henry Portrait, this Portrait of a Serial Killer. Uh, his most recent big thing was uh, he was on Walking Dead for a while. He played Daryl's brother, Earl. Okay. Um, just a great B movie actor, kind of like along the likes of like uh, um, along the of like people like James Remar and Tony Todd. Um, he's definitely one of those guys. He's been in, like a lot of action movies, like Cliffhanger. He was in Tombstone. Um, he played. The love interest dad and mall rats. Um, he met James Gunn when they made Slither together, and they've been kind of working on movies together ever since. Um, but really funny guy in real life, uh, hilarious country boy. And uh, this was like his his uh, genre fans have always loved Rooker, and this just like kind of solidified that he is like a an amazing actor. Uh, Rooker as as Yondu. I mean, some of the best. I'm just saying, it's, it's it's amazing to me that we live in a time where some of the best acting performances that you can see on in cinema are taking place in tentpole action blockbuster franchises right. that come from four color comic book panels. I mean, it's <laughs> it's 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 amazing. It's amazing that one of the best acting performances you will see in a movie screen this year comes from a dude who's painted blue with a metal mohawk. <laughs> yeah. I love that mohawk. Um, yeah, and you know what? That's that's interesting to say that, Chuck. And it's because I think I think that's because the audience is growing so big. It's like okay, we have a bigger audience now, and more people are seeing these movies. We have to actually make them good <laughs> if we want to keep doing this. Right, and I mean, amazing too that it doesn't have to be dumb. Yeah, like. I'm sorry for if anyone out there is a fan of them, but like the Transformers movies are dumb. They're dumb. I would say not, I don't think their biggest problem is that they're dumb. Their biggest problem is that they're incoherent. I have no idea what's going on in those movies. 
I mean, I, I have I just no think, idea what they're about. I have no idea. I will what's stand. Happening. I will stand by the first Transformers movie. Yeah. But the rest of, I mean, and it's dumb. It's a dumb movie. Actually, I mean, they're they're just they're just all spectacle. That's the thing is they're all spectacle with no substance. Yeah. And here this this show you can have spectacle and substance. Oh yeah, and just like and like pure raw emotion. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was interesting to me that I saw this movie the the morning after because I, by the way, um, I, I'm Trevor alluded to this in previous episodes, dear listeners, um, that I prefer to see blockbuster movies on the Monday morning after they come out, like first <laughs> showing possible. Yeah. And so I got to take JP. I mean, we've he's been with me before on one of these kinds of showings, but um, that has to because we we saw Star yeah. Wars together. Yeah, we've so we've done this as a group before, but it's, it's always fun when I get to take JP when we were literally the first people to walk in the door of the movie theater um, at nine forty in the morning for or nine twenty for a nine forty show. Um, but um, like I saw this movie the morning after I'd watched Arrival, so I finally saw Arrival. Oh yeah. And, re- and and like reading up on Arrival after watching it, people talk about like, oh, it's adult sci-fi. And like, oh, well, because nobody jokes, because it deals with child death. Like, why? What what made it more adult? Like, what makes what makes Arrival more adult than the themes in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two? I mean, I I feel you know. So I don't see why like we have we get caught in this thing where like high art has to be dour. Um, Uh, As a horror fan, right there with you, buddy. (laughs) Deal with that a lot in the horror community. Yeah. I think it's because it's it's the accessibility. Like Arrival is less accessible to younger viewers than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is like an all ages movie. I mean, I guess I don't know. I, I, the 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 central twist of Arrival I saw coming within the first act of that movie. Yeah. Oh really? I, um. Look at you. I don't know. I mean, I thought it was. It was an interesting movie, but I don't. I don't know. I I think it might have been a little overhyped. But did you, did you figure out the alien's language or something? And then yeah. No, <laughs> you mean the cu- cousin it? I haven't seen it. <laughs> cousin it? Oh well, never mind. Sorry, Matt. Hmm. You haven't seen it? That's no. Not, and that are you think? I think you're thinking of thing, not cousin it. Right. Is that yeah, thing. thing. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Thing. Cousin it's Harry. That's right. Thing. <laughs> they look like thing. Yeah. Um. No, we haven't spoiled anything for Matt. It's just one hand is thing. I almost oh, did. I got but... two hands gone. Huh? I almost did. I said you saw the ending coming. I was like, oh, did you learn the language or something? Cause... Oh, I mean, but that's the plot of the movie. Is about... <laughs> I mean, that's in the trailers. <laughs> I actually want to say something because I've been thinking a lot about this and I haven't really vocalized Nobody it. Nobody asked you. Move on. I'm Mary, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. <laughs> um, I think what's interesting about the music, we haven't talked much about the music. Music mayhem. <laughs> For music mayhem, <laughs> um, my um, the other piece that I really liked is uh, whenever they played Fleetwood Mac, the chain, like that final battle between Peter Quill and and Ego, while Fleetwood Mac playing is like I, I've never liked Fleetwood Mac, never been into him, uh, but this movie managed to make them very cool. Um, but I, I like that song, and I listen to it a lot. And I've even started listening to the album uh, Rumors, which is sort of like their famous albums for the song. Right. right. Um, what I think is interesting about the music, and I've been saying this, I've said it twice now, that everything happens in this movie for a reason. Nothing is frivolous. The music in this movie, and in the last movie, uh, 
exists for a dramatic reason. It's not like, you know, Suicide Squad used a lot of different music, a lot of different pop songs, and they're and they're they're used to kind of be like, oh, well, this song means this, this song's mean that, this represents that. But that's not that's not like really a dramatic reason for that music to exist. Um, the only person who's really good at that, if you ask me, is like Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> just that's just because he finds like the best music. Wes Anderson and Wes Anderson, he's good too. Yeah, yeah, I love his. Yeah, that, that that's good. That's good. Um, but the dramatic reason for them for this music for the music existing in this movie, you know, it all just ties into Peter Quill and his relationship with his mother. And in a way, the music represents like to me his mom. Like his mom is is sort of present right. in the story because of that music and. What I think is really interesting about this one is you learn that, like, they've all kind of started to really like his music, all the other characters yeah. who aren't from Earth. You know, you have Rocket singing along and stuff. And there's that one character who's played by uh, James Gunn's brother. Oh, Scott Gunn. Yeah, we didn't talk about him. He's really good in the, in the movie. God, he's so good, too. Uh, there's a scene where he's, like, just hanging out listening to, uh, what's that song? Sh- Shambling? Sh- Shambling? Shambling? Yeah. Yeah. He's singing along with it and stuff. And it's just like the music; it, it kind of unites them in a way. It sort of represents like their unity, and in a way, you know, that kind of means that Peter's mom is kind of what her the spirit kind of lives in the music, and the music kind of brings them all together. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that she's that that's how she's now present. I've, you've got me not wanting to revisit our Virgin Mary episode and see how that's an Amer- how that's a Marian apparition type thing right yeah i won't get into that though but i i i i want to think about that and you know everyone like loves peter's mom and i think i think by by kind of acknowledging the the music and how much they like his music it's they're sort of acknowledging that and you know even ego like he didn't he didn't hate peter's mom like right he killed her because he just loves himself more than her (laughs) you know like right um and that, that's I always thought that was so sad. She kind of represents love to me in this movie. Yeah, I love it, Peter, and just the just the fact that he can go from that Peter goes from like enlightenment to I'm gonna kill you now, just shows like how much he loved her. And um, you know, he keeps keeps telling telling him like you killed like the most wonderful woman in the in the universe. Yeah. So um, I thought that was really interesting and really touching. It's kind of rambly, but. No. Um, Rambling man. <laughs> Born to run. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm kind of in the process of trying to grow my own Kurt Russell feathered hair. I don't know if you can tell. I'm getting there, but gotta get a blow dryer. <laughs> um. So the guys, unless you guys have anything else you want to say, I think that's a good place to to end. That's, that works for me. Yeah, Matt. I'm good. Okay. Thumbs well, up. Well, uh, um, I just got a message from Father Fun. <laughs> and what does Father Fun have to say? He has announced next week's album for Music Mayhem. Who is it? I'll tell you who it is for Music Mayhem. I'm excited Mayhem. to find out who Father Fun wants us to listen to. It's going to be Who's Next by The Who. All right. 
Sorry, I'm waiting for Matt to ask who. Something. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not joining you on this. I can't. <laughs> I'm just waiting for Matt. Just be like, you think one of my favorite Animaniac sketches where um where they do the whole who's on first thing, but they do it with Woodstock bands yeah. with uh, who was the old pigeon and the squirrel? That's anyway. no. It was uh. It was the slap. Was it Slappy the squirrel? Yeah. So Slappy. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. No, the band comes on next. <laughs> or, or it's like the band's not here yet. <laughs> um, so next week will be uh, Who's Next by The Who. Um, but he just wants to do the first nine songs, which is the original album. So listen to that album this week. Next week All we will right. converge and we will talk about The Who. And uh, does that mean Father Fun's going to be here? Is he going to be That here? means Father Fun's going to be on. Father Fun! It's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, Matt, are you asleep? <laughs> okay. All right. What? No, I'm here. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, join us next week. Have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey.